In the 1970s, public art was all too often an art project sprung in a community by a government agency. It came from the artist doing his own work, responding to his own community. Public art has moved to a model of community interaction. It's not just for the public. It comes from the public. What would humanities scholarship look like if it too developed out of a conversation? What if a humanities department was a hub of a community of artists, educators, scholars, and the public? Hello and welcome to Humanities Plus. We took a small break over summer vacation and now we're back for another season. I'm your host, Rachel Scray, and this year is kind of a important year for me, I guess. A celebratory year, I suppose. It is my senior year as an undergraduate student at the University of Green Bay, Wisconsin. I am a double major in history and digital and public humanities with a minor in arts management on an emphasis of museums and galleries. Uh, Humanities Plus is a digital and public humanities podcast that's here to provide undergraduate students and community members with meaningful discussions with enthusiasts, scholars, and experts on the broad field of digital and public humanities in order to expand our thinking and perspectives on the subject. In today's episode, we will be exploring the field of public humanities with guest Brooke Uhl, who is the program manager and volunteer coordinator at Brown County Hazelwood Society and the Hazelwood Historic Home Museum. Thank you so much for being here today, Brooke. Thank you. Brooke is a 2012 graduate from UWGB, and you were actually just featured on the Cause and Effect blog, which is a blog from the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences at UWGB as a featured alum. I gave it a read. It was very fun, and that's really cool that you got to do that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, I can put that on the link uh, for our blog if any of our listeners want to check out and learn more about you. So I'm really excited to have you here today to discuss public humanities because of your unique position as the program manager. Manager at the Brown County Historical Society in the Hazelwood Historic Home Museum. We actually worked together during my sophomore year. I was an intern for the Hazelwood House, and that was really cool to be a part of that. Oh yeah, you were an excellent and intern. We did a exhibit and fashion show that celebrated 200 years of Brown County, and then we paired it up with 200 years of style and its development and how our style is part of our identity, and that was a very fun thing to do. Yes, it was. So while I was doing some research for this episode, I realized how truly broad the title Public Humanities is and how different institutions utilize public humanities in a variety of ways. For example, the difference between teaching public humanities, public humanities as scholarship, and community-based cultural or not-for-profit organizations that engage the public and the local community with public humanities or with the humanities. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our discussion, I want to focus on two parts. One, how local community-based historical and cultural organizations such as the Historical Society and Hazelwood House interact with the public, and two, how your education, both undergraduate and graduate, has influenced your perspective and thinking on creating programs that engage the public with local history and culture. Does that sound good? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's do this. So then let's dig in. I'm going to start with a a relatively easy question. Um, (laughs) I I like easy questions. How did you get involved in public history? Oh, well, I mean, if you read my article, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was 
always going to be a history major. It's something that I was very passionate about from a young age. It's, again, something my dad and I really bonded over. We did a Civil War tour when I was, like, in eighth grade, and we went to Gettysburg and did all those things. We did a Laura Ingalls Wilder tour and all that fun stuff. Um, And so when I got to college, I knew I wanted to be a history I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. I was like, I don't really want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind teaching. Um, I was like, how can I use this in another another way? Well, I got an internship at Heritage Hill State Park. It was State Historical Park, but now they've changed their name. Um, and I was made an interpreter, which is basically a glorified tour guide with historic clothing. And that my first summer there, I was stuck in one building which I am just absolutely in love with, Mm -hmm. um, which was the Fort Howard Hospital building. And um, so I got to give tours of what it would have been like to be at a hospital in the 1830s and actually how disgusting it really was and Mm -hmm. how medical, the medical field has transformed so much in the last 100, 180 years. Um, And just, you know, the discovery of the germ, to, you know, open heart operations, to brain operations, to all of these different things and, you know, do that, doing that kind of comparison. So that was like my first real exposure to being in public history. Mm-hmm. Um, I had such a fun time doing that that they actually asked me back the following two summers to be an interpreter, which I spent most of the time in the hospital. But I got to I got to move funny. to one other building, um, but I was mainly in the fort area because apparently I make a really good matron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so during graduate school, and you went to UW-Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and your program was? Public History Museum Studies. Okay. Um, so what type of experience or training did you have in your graduate studies that prepared you for public humanities or public history? So UW-Milwaukee uh, definitely has a good public history and museum studies program, I think, because they're actually partnered with the Milwaukee Public Museum. So any of the, like, the museum aspect of, you know, training or learning about how you function in a museum, you actually do the classes at the Milwaukee Public Museum. So you get to interact with the curator and the collections and um, the registrar and all these different places so that you get that experience of doing those projects. Um, so like one of the first classes that you take is just the overall museum studies class, which you actually have to go to a different museum and assess it. Okay. You know, uh, we call it SWAT, which is their strengths, weaknesses. Oh my, weaknesses, opportunities, and I don't remember the technology. last one. There we go. Technology. <laughs> See, someone knows. <laughs> it's been four years, so it's been a while. I needed a little bit of a refresher. So looking at those, and um, I got the opportunity to actually do the National Railroad Museum here in Green Bay. So it was really great to kind of come back home and look at one of our actual museums and do it. Um, and then, you know, our second class was really focusing on collections and how we manage our collections. And I got to do a really great project focusing on like a small little rune stone that was a replica and I mean it got to, that's my area of like I love I love Scandinavian history mm-hmm. and mostly the Vikings and all of that stuff so thanks Dr. Dr. Sherman <laughs> um, for that and so we got to interact with that and then the following class because there was four classes we got to do kind of a curation interpretation project where we 
kind of planned out an exhibit, although not actually doing a physical exhibit because the last class is actually doing a physical exhibit Mm -hmm. at the Milwaukee Public Museum. And so we did one on color. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was called Hugh New. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very, very punny. And my group, because there was 13 of us, we kind of focused on... um, we focused on uh, color symbolism, um, and then other groups focused on like you know the science of color, and then how we use color in materials, um, and just you know materials that are available to us on Earth that mm-hmm. help us make color. So just all those different sorts of things. It was a really great project to work on. But mm-hmm. um, even while I was in the museum study program. Um, you have to do internships, as anyone has to do. And I ended up doing three internships. I only needed to do two, but I ended up doing three. This overachiever, I guess. <laughs> um, so I interned at the uh, Chudno Museum of Yesteryear, where I worked on their collections. So I got a little more hands-on experience with mm-hmm. collections and learning about access- accessioning and deaccessioning. And I learned a lot, and I will state this, a lot <laughs> about soap. Okay specifically <laughs> Colgate, Palmolive, and Peat Company. So if you ever look on the Chudno Museum and look at their collections and you see all of this accession soap, it's from me. And then my second internship was actually at the New Ber- Berlin Heritage Center where I worked on more educational programs. Mm-hmm. Sadly, New Berlin Heritage Center does no longer exist because it was located inside the library and then they just decided to turn that place into a coffee shop. Imagine that. My final internship, I worked at the Chalet of the Golden Fleece, where I just was mainly a tour guide, but we were also doing inventory on the collections. So I got to kind of travel around Wisconsin as well, which was kind of fun, and just see kind of different areas of Wisconsin. So it kind of exposed me to how small museums work, to how bigger museums work. Yes. Those um, are big differences. <laughs> they are. They are. Um, so speaking of smaller museums and uh, more local history, public history or humanities programs are very much based on an organization's mission. That's what I found when doing some research. So the Brown County Historical Society's mission is to preserve, present, and share the heritage of Brown County history through preservation activities, exhibitions, educational programs, and events. Could you share with us some of the programs that you have worked on that engage the public with history and how do they engage the public? It's a big yeah. question. <laughs> that, that's a big and long-winded question. No, pass. Uh, no comment. No. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of like there are a lot of events that I've worked on in the last three years um, that span you know just from smaller educational programs to huge events um, that are all kind of trying to go along with our mission. So I'll start smaller and work bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, you know, one of my goals coming in was really trying to get more kids into the Historical Society in Hazelwood and just getting them in there. And um, we really started forming a knit for Girl Scouts. And we started out with uh, two Girl Scout badges. One was focusing on games and the other one was focusing on your family history. Okay. So it's just kind of opening that idea of like, having Hazelwood itself as just that that platform of like this is how Morgan and Elizabeth Martin lived and this is what their kids would have played with this is you know this is how they would have played games back then 
Um, and then even with their family history of like talking about their family history of like, well, you know, if you would come to the house back then, um, you know, you'd be greeted into the parlor, you know, talking about certain certain ways of how they would have structured their lives. Mm-hmm. Etiquette and... Mm-hmm. Their etiquette and, you know, just how they would have interacted with each other and interacted with um, the public. Yeah. Because, um, you know, a lot of families back then, they're very much save your public face, you know... You don't, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't air your dirty laundry. Exactly. Anything, anything just gets brushed under the rug, mm-hmm. you know? So there's, there's things that, you know, certainly at the historical society that we, you know, try not to talk about because, you know, we want to honor the family as much as we can, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're actually an important, important figures. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make it any less, uh, less not known about what they've done. You know, the two youngest girls, they never got married, you know? That could open a door of questions about anything. Um, but, you know, it, their family line dies out. So looking at that with family history, you know, explaining to girls that, you know, if you decide that you don't want to get married and don't have kids, you know, your family line could die out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no more of you. So, you know, not trying to encourage girls to, like, go mm-hmm. have babies. Yeah. No, it's just, you know, this is a way of just – stating the facts of how how family trees work mm-hmm. um so kind of getting them yeah and getting interest and getting children interested in their own heritage their mm-hmm. own local history and definitely opening that door of different perspectives um, oh yeah for, definitely for young hopefully blossoming historians that's what right. we all hope right right <laughs> we all hope that we're all blossoming historians <laughs> yes um but also looking at it in the sense of object based of like what do you have in your room that's really special to you that in a hundred years could be handed down generation to generation rather than given to goodwill or mm-hmm. something along those lines of like, this is something that's really special to you. Who do you want to hand it off to when you go? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of a morbid thing of like, like, pre- <laughs> like preserving your own history. Right. Yeah. It's like Hamilton and his legacy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's refer to Hamilton and everything, <laughs> everything in that. Um, so we've, we're done kind of like smaller things like that. Um, and then there's like, con- uh, there's, we're set events when I came in, mm-hmm. we always do like a Christmas thing. Um, you know, we work with the federate, the Brown County Federation of History Organizations and Museums, or, you know, we do a history treasure tour where people can come in mm-hmm. for, you know, an evening to kind of just see, we do cemetery walks. So like those were kind of set events They've been doing them for several years, and me coming in, um, my first year, we did a, a Dickens Christmas, which had been done a couple years, but then in the last couple years that I've been doing it, um, we've been kind of focusing on ethnic groups okay, um, and their Christmas. Like, this year, um, pretty sure the Jewish community is being involved, and I still have to email Kwanzaa, but <laughs> just to confirm Kwanzaa, so... Trying to get those communities um, into Hazelwood, utilizing Hazelwood again, trying to tell their story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just trying to bring people in because, again, we're a small museum and, you know, we have set furniture. You know, we can't really do exhibits to the extent of the Neville where they have a, a free space. We have to utilize what we have in our space. Yeah. 
there's a there's a program that you guys just did this summer that I think is really cool. The road rally. Yeah, I was getting to that. Yep. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because that one really expands and really gets the community involved. Like you right. physically have to go on this treasure hunt um, of different <laughs> historical places. It's so cool. But you tell us about yes, it. Yes. Yes. So one of the bigger events that consumes my life sometimes is the road rally. So the first year that we did it was in 2018 in honor of Brown County turning 200. Mm -hmm. Um, And we kind of wanted to do a bigger event just to think of, you know, we have all of these really cool places around Green Bay and Brown County and we should go to that because I don't think a lot of these people who live in Brown County or any of the other counties really know about these places because they're so small, like Brown County Historical Society, they're only open for so much. Mm -hmm. So it really became my job this year and last year reaching out to these uh, historic organizations. And even some of them weren't historic organizations, but they have a history here in Green Bay or Brown County. So like um, Barkhausen with the Brown County Parks, you Mm -hmm. know, we partnered with them last year and this year. You know, this year we partnered with the Wildlife Sanctuary. You know, they've been here. You know, yeah. they have a history. And it just because just because they're an organization that focuses on animals or anything like that doesn't mean it's not less part of our history because it is. And so I wanted to create something really fun for everyone um, to kind of come in and kind of basically do a scavenger hunt. And I really, I have to give credit to Loretta Delvo for this because when we originally met for um, figuring out what we were going to do for the 200th anniversary, we had no idea what to do. And then she just like blurred out, what about a road rally? And all of us looked at her and we're like, what? What's a road rally? So I have to give her credit for it because she's really the one who kind of sparked the idea. Mm-hmm. And so this this year, you know, we went to all sorts of different places. We kind of just focused on the upper kind of half of the county this year. Okay. Um, and hopefully next year we'll focus a little bit more on the lower half uh, because it takes a while. I mean, you're driving all the way out to Pulaski. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was stationed at Nicolay Landing, which is actually north of here, uh, of GB, um, right on the water. And, you know, it's just to get people to interact and have fun with it. So yeah. kind of looking towards those millennials, but also trying to get, you know, older, older people to kind of, you know, have fun with history because you're going to learn a lot along the way. So I had trivia packets, I had all of these different things. So it was really fun and turned out pretty great, at least for the last two years. Yeah, it seems like it's been something that people really enjoy and you guys, um, it, it looks fun. You do the whole thing with the social media, so people get you their spots and they're putting things on Instagram with the hashtags. Like, it, it does. It looks great. Mm. It seems like a great way to really get not just the public and individuals involved, but the community as well, like you mm. said, with different historical organizations and some that aren't even historical organizations. And that's, right. I think brings us to a really good place to segue into my next question, (laughs) um, which is while preparing for this episode, I came across a concept that suggests that traditional museums and cultural organizations looking to produce projects that benefit the communities they serve should shift their perspective on the museum as an authority to a model of a shared authority with the community. Basically meaning that cultural organizations need to value the viewpoint of non-expert community members or groups equally to that of the 
be professional curators and educators. Mm -hmm. So in planning programs, is this concept of shared authority applicable to the Brown County Historical Society or the Hazelwood House? I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, one that one that comes to mind is our Christmas um, event that we do, and actually it's going to be holiday this year. But, you know, uh, looking well, at... Well, and that's an important switch, too. Just the switch from naming it a Christmas to a holiday. holiday. It's much more inclusive to other groups of the community as well. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean... It's not the best title because it's Hazelwood's ethnic holiday, mm-hmm. but it's a title that's still a little more inclusive. So I think, you know, looking to these groups that, yeah, they may not be an absolute expert in Irish Christmas traditions, mm-hmm. but they're part of this group and they kind of know the things. Whereas, yes, I can do my own research. Google can tell me all these different mm-hmm. things, but I don't have, you know, the shamrocks. I don't have all these different things. Whereas reaching out to these community groups or even to the community itself, they have the expertise because Mm -hmm. they live those lives. Exactly, yeah. You know, whereas, like, my background is I'm a farmer. So, like, if we were doing a farming exhibit, I would reach out to, you know, my brother, my sister. You know, I I would reach out to people who are more into the farming um, industry because I have those connections. And I may know things, but I'm not an expert in it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just utilizing that to the best of our intentions of oh well you're actually you know you're really good at fashion i'm just you know so reaching out to someone who who has a lot of good expertise and what their likes are so mm-hmm. i think that's really important when we do exhibits or events or anything like that i mean this year we did a prohibition tea which was really fun and great to do and two of our actors was Jenna, Dennis Jacobs and Myrna Dickinson. Myrna is the one who organizes our cemetery walks. And Dennis is just a vital resource that works for Brown County Library. And, it, like, he doesn't have a college degree. Like, he just knows so much. And I've told him time and time again that any time that he's at Hazelwood or anything like that, I'm like, I learned something from you. You know so much. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily, I mean, I encourage anyone to have a college degree if they want it, you know, and I'm sure Dennis wants it eventually. But, you know, he has so much information and it's, he's such a resource Mm -hmm. to get information on. You know, I did most of Myrna's script because I just found her character fascinating. Um, But, you know, Myrna put her own twist on it. You Mm -hmm. know, she was a teacher. So it's, it's utilizing those people to the best of their ability because they they know their subject mm-hmm. and you know being respectful of that and asking them okay i'm not i'm not an expert on this but this is what we're thinking what's your you know you're welcome to give your own opinion of how we can change it to make it better um, and usually they do in yeah. some way shape or form Yeah, absolutely, and I feel like that's just, like, the best um, value, I guess, to have when doing this type of work is that if you want to do something for the community, you need to see what the community has already. Mm -hmm. You need to, you know, like, the community has been here. What are they doing, and how can Mm -hmm. we help? Right, exactly. It's not like, uh, you know, that would be like us going to make an Oneida Nation exhibit in our parlor without, you know, without having the Oneida Nation involved. That's just us deciding to do it. That's not how we would do it Mm -hmm. at all because we're 
as much as we can know about the Oneida Nation, the Oneida Nation knows more about itself and its intricate parts. And as much as we can read books and stuff like that, you're actually part of that community and have seen the politics or the traditions on a firsthand note. I'd rather have you there in that room making that exhibit or being there for that event versus me who knows a tiny, tiny bit, you know, from my research that I've done myself. It's not that I don't want to do the research because I have. It's more or less that incorporating these community partners in some way, shape, or form, it just makes for better partnerships for the future. And I am a belief of let's raise everyone up, you know, let's not put people, you know, let's not put bigger museums down, let's not put little museums down or other organizations Mm -hmm. um, because we're all trying to make Green Bay and Brown County a better place. We're trying to get more people here so they can learn our history. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think makes a successful public history program? Okay. Um, definitely volunteers. <laughs> See, I can do it right off the cuff. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's what you meant. Okay, yeah. Um, I think, you know, definitely having the volunteers or having the people behind it, um, that being supportive in some way, shape, or form. Communication mm-hmm. is another really important thing because you may have an idea, but you need to present it to your boss. And so communicating that effectively will help get the concept across a mm-hmm. lot easier. Uh, I think that'll make a really great public history program. And then also just doing the research behind it, you know, having a passion for it. Passion, passion, I think, is also a very important thing is that, you know, if you're really not into the event or into the exhibit, you're not going to really enjoy doing it as much. And that affects the whole personality of the exhibit, too. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you really have to like what you're doing. Um, So that, in in order for it to be successful, you have to be that. And uh, another thing is marketing. Marketing is the biggest thing. You know, volunteers and marketing are, like, the two biggest things. Because you need to get the word out and... Um, you can beg and plead and mm-hmm. do all your things as much as you can. And if you're on a limited budget, like, you know, Hazelwood and Brown County Historical Society is because we are a smaller organization, you have to be creative. Yeah. So passion, creativity, communication, marketing, all of the above. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how, how can students, faculty, or community members get involved with local public history and humanities organizations such as the Hazelwood House. Oh, volunteer. Just volunteer. We love volunteers. Um, Volunteering is probably my biggest thing that I struggle with as the volunteer coordinator. Um, You know, volunteers, volunteering has definitely changed in the last 30 years. Um, But, you know, getting involved that way is like, be at some of the events, you know, come to one. And if you really enjoy it, you know, put yourself out there and say, I really want to help out with this. I think I may have an idea that may make this better. You know, we're not closed off in any way mm-hmm. of saying, oh, well, you're just you're just a teacher. We don't care what you think. Like, we care because we believe that putting more people, you know, more minds together will create a better, uh, better community opportunities um, to spread our history and learn uh, learn our history you know um, I can guarantee you that I I can tell you a fact about Morgan L. Martin and the majority of the people who listen to this podcast 
will not know why Morgan L. Martin is important. Yeah, we should probably clarify that. <laughs> we should give like just a, a quick little bio of why the Hazelwood House and um, the Martin family are so important. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, so Hazelwood is actually built uh, was built in 1837 and finished in 1838 for Morgan L. Martin and his wife uh, Elizabeth. Uh, it was her wedding present. So any lady out there getting mm-hmm. married, you better ask for a house. And it's, <laughs> it's one of the oldest homes that mm-hmm. is standing that you can go to the museum. Right. In Green Bay. Right. Okay. It's one of the one of the oldest homes. I don't think it's the old. But it's like the oldest standing one. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in function. you got Tonk Cottage, which yeah. is that Heritage Hill, but, yeah. like, it's on its original spot that yes, it was built. on its original land. Minus seven feet, but, you know, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, and so Morgan was actually a lawyer um, who lived in New York and actually moved out to Green Bay at the uh, beckoning of his cousin, James Doty. So if any of you are Green Bay residents that went to Martin Elementary or Doty Elementary, these are these are founding fathers mm-hmm. of our of our city. So Morgan, um, uh, he was very involved with the territorial legislator. Uh, so in 1836, Wisconsin was made a territory, and so after that, it's, let's become a state. Yep. Let's start working to become a state. So he was very involved with that um, and dealing with laws and stuff like that. And then in the 1840s, we start developing our state constitution. Which fun fact. Our first constitution failed. Um, and the reason for that is because the people of Wisconsin did not win, uh, did not want women to have rights. Okay. Thanks for that. <laughs> but then I guess in a way they made up for it in a sense <laughs> by ratifying the 19th Amendment uh, quicker but, than other states. But uh, Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess. I guess. That's Who for knows? debate. Whatever. <laughs> That's debate. But... If not for the failing of the first state constitution, um, Morgan L. Martin would not have been appointed as the president, quote unquote, president or chairman of the second constitutional convention for Wisconsin in 1847. So he is actually the reason why our constitution um, exists Mm -hmm. in Wisconsin and why we're a state. Uh, So he helped write our constitution and then went off. I believe he actually went off to Washington to eventually get it ratified by Mm -hmm. the union and boom 1848 we are made a state Mm -hmm. so and his daughter elizabeth no no his wife was elizabeth yeah his wife was elizabeth she was also from new york um she wrote the history no nope deborah did yeah debbie Debbie did so his youngest daughter (laughs) debbie (laughs) but she preferred to be called deborah Mm -hmm. um she becomes the head librarian at the Kellogg Public Library, so precursor to the Brown County Library System. And she writes several books on Brown County. She writes the history of Green Bay. And this is because she is, she's met the, far, uh, the founders. She's met all these important business people. She creates a book. She writes it with her friends. She's really good friends with the Nevilles. Um, you know, in the... 19 teens she uh she starts basically the neville public museum which which eventually becomes the neville public museum i should say because the neville used to be part of the kellogg public library Mm -hmm. so they were together and she was you know she was actually appointed the first woman curator of the wisconsin historical society you know morgan her father was 
uh, the first vice president of the Wisconsin Historical Society. This family was so entrenched with remembering our history and writing it down. I cannot believe how much forethought that they had. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, I really need to write in my journal more. You know, yeah. the, I'm like, I need to write things down so people know in the future of like how forethought I was of history. So, you know, she, after her parents die, she and her sister and her brother really wanted to turn Hazelwood into a museum. She took pictures of the house in the 1920s. Like, not not in like, oh, we're just going to take a picture of a random room today. No, we're p- taking a picture for the future. Mm-hmm. You know, just amazing. It's absolutely amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Um so, like, this family is very, very much involved. So, Deborah and her older sister, Sarah, they never got married, but they were very involved with the community in so many different ways. Um, you know, where Art Colony is, you know, that uh, they were part of that. They were part of Shakespeare Club. They were part mm-hmm. of the Neville. They, they helped create the Brown County Historical Society. So, it's, you know, for not Deborah Martin, Heritage Hill wouldn't exist. Yeah. Neville Public Museum wouldn't exist. Brown County Historical Society wouldn't exist. So even to the extent of what the Brown County uh, Brown County Library is with their local history section would not exist without her. So like talk about someone who's very important to at least Green Bay history mm-hmm. um, and remembering it. And uh, you know I don't think she gets enough credit due to her. So like we always praise Debbie whenever we can. Absolutely, I feel like we could have a whole nother podcast episode that's just talking about the history of, i'm down for that already <laughs> of the hazelwood house but um so let's we can um bring this back i have one more question for you Wonderful. um so do you have any advice for undergraduate students interested in a career in public history or humanities yes intern <laughs> internships internships um really get that hands-on experience um you know, just get out there, get out to a historical organization, whether it's a bigger museum like the Neville or the National Railroad Museum or Heritage Hill, whether it's a bigger museum or even to the extent of going down to the Milwaukee Public Museum, get an internship. Mm-hmm. You know, smaller organizations, we're, we need you. We need you because we are trying to find ways to get younger audiences into our museums. Uh, so we are always looking out for the opinion of younger generations and not to say that I'm like old Mm -hmm. because I'm technically a millennial. So it's like, how do we get those people in? What kind of events, what kind of events can we create? Um, what kind of exhibits that would draw people in? Um, how do we make a, you know, a pretty much a fully furnished house? Um, how do we make that exciting for people, for younger people? for younger people to come in Mm -hmm. what can we do to make those stand out and make it more fun for people how do we connect with the community how do we connect with the community Mm -hmm. exactly so it's internships i think are very very important you know even to the extent of uh you know looking at different sorts of public history um you have museums, you have archives, you have other nonprofits out there. So looking at it in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, how can you as an intern be valuable to other organizations with your public history degree? You know, because it's not just about, oh, let's develop exhibits. You could be really good with finances or something like that and development of like, how can we do a great fundraiser? You know, 
looking at it all, in all sorts of different ways. I mean, you can even look at it to the extent of Barnes and Noble and yeah. other things like that. So there's ways to use your public humanities degree and public history degree um, in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So just be open to actually doing an internship. And yes, some internships go unpaid and we're sorry. <laughs> but it's, you know, I was very fortunate in my first internship at Heritage Hill to get a paid internship. Um, you know, but this is back in 2010. Things have changed since then. Um, organization Organizations have changed how they view, view internships. And even if you get a non-paid internship, um, it's still going to be a really great experience for you because you're going to learn something along mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's one of the things you learned in your internship? Oh, yeah. I was going to – well, I'm definitely <laughs> going to be talking about that um, in my conclusion, the different internships that I've had. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the great things about uh, public humanity programs and just humanity programs in general is the humanities – it's a large umbrella. There's Mm -hmm. so many different, it's very broad and yet there's very um, detailed specific things that you can be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, the variety of different internships I've, well, when I interned at the Hazelwood House, I had a two-semester internship, mm-hmm. and those two semesters were very different from each other. Oh, yeah. So I was focusing on different things. One was research. One was actually, okay, how do we create this exhibit? How do we engage with the public? What mm-hmm. are we going to do with these things? So, yeah, um, I would say as a student who is interested in doing public humanities or anything in the humanities, internships are the best way to do it. Um, you take the theoretical knowledge that you learned in class, and mm. you apply it. And yep. that's... That's, I mean, the best way to, that's step one. Step one. Foundational. (laughs) You know, that's that's your foundation. From there, you decide what you like, what you don't like. Mm -hmm. You know, I I honestly will say that when I I started at Heritage Hill, um, I was in love with it. I mean, you know, I could talk to people. I very much get that from my father, that I could just talk to people about random things. I have a useless database in my head of just unknown facts that people are like, oh, God, she's just spewing them out there, you know. But then, you know, I worked at a library and I was like, oh, God, I didn't want to talk to people all day. I could just do this. So, like, I... I got experience, a well-rounded experience of doing things, but I ended up in the museum field because I actually do like this whole... It's the connecting with people. Connecting with people. Like, there are some days I'm like, I don't want to connect with anyone. I just want to focus <laughs> and do my work. I think we all feel like that sometimes. But there are days where it's just like, yes, I want to tell you about this history. I want to tell you about all the awesome things that we're doing here. So it's, it's, it's kind of like having a mishmash of everything Mm -hmm. you know it really just gives you the great experience and don't be afraid to ask questions you know ask your professors you know what they think ask your professors to give you know get you in touch with maybe a local organization that may give you a better perspective of what it would be like to be in public history field you know I can be brutally honest on some things you know I could just be like it's different everywhere you go. You know, just getting someone's opinion that's there. Um, you know, because there's there's so much that can go into any organization. Mm-hmm. And just learning what your own your own talent is and utilizing that to the best of your ability will be really great for your career um, following you. 
Absolutely. Um, well, that brings us to the end of our interview. Do you have anything else that you'd like to talk about for the Hazelwood House? Our harvest tea coming up in November and then we're going to be doing Hazelwood ethnic holiday on December 7th and December 14th Mm -hmm. so if you want to volunteer at Brown County Historical Society or Hazelwood I mean just go to our website which is www.brownco.historicalsoc.org or visit our Facebook page which you can just look Brown County Historical Society up um, or um, Hazelwood Historic House And we have an Instagram page, so you can follow us on Instagram. Thank you so much, Brooke, for being with us today. You've had a pretty busy month being a featured alum. Now you're on this podcast. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. As Brooke had mentioned when she gave advice for students who are interested in pursuing a career in public humanities, she talked a lot about how important internships are. And during my time at UWGB, Through the History and Digital Public Humanities program, I have been able to do a variety of different community-based projects and internships that have enabled me to creatively think on how to engage the public in humanistic discourse and projects. One aspect I've learned and come to value through my DPH education is to acknowledge that public humanities are about creating a dialogue that shares authority, knowledge, and expertise with the community. Last semester, I was a part of a capstone class that created a database of Brown County criminal court records. In our planning process, uh, we reached out to community stakeholders, organizations like the Neville Public Museum, the UW Green Bay Archives, the Hazelwood House, and others, and we asked them how they might use this database and how we could create a database in which they could engage with. These are organizations who have been here before this class. They're doing things similar with this history, but it's important to be able to bridge a connection with the university to um, community organizations like small museums, historical societies, and etc. in order to really create effective public humanities projects. Throughout my time in the Digital and Public Humanities program, which is really a meta-discipline, I have learned a variety of skills that I can apply to both broad and specific projects. During my junior year, I took a class where we used Twine, uh, which is a digital tool used to create interactive storytelling. Our project was to take a major historical event, specifically the British Civil Wars, and create a tell-your-own-story slash choose-your-own-adventure game where users explored how a British Persian chose and shifted their alliance during the British Civil War. So it's not only connecting to the public, but thinking how you're going to connect the public to something that seems so um, outdated and really not relevant to today's time. But how do we creatively and interactively get people involved in a part of history um, that they otherwise maybe wouldn't have found any interest in or any connection with? Things like that. While I don't consider myself a creative writer, using Twine and building an interactive game enabled me to think creatively about how the history and humanities can be utilized to connect to the public in interactive and enjoyable ways. I have many more examples that I could talk about with my different internships, like I discussed earlier with my Hazelwood internship. That was really how do I create an exhibit which connects both Brown County history and fashion history and the public and having our fashion show and tea event where community members were able to come and eat and drink and enjoy the discussion that we were having over the history of Brown County and its fashion was truly an amazing thing to work on as 
uh, as a student, I've really been able to realize the different things that you can go into. And what I find really intriguing throughout my research for this episode was how two words, public humanities, holds such a large umbrella of categories and potential career opportunities for students. Public humanity programs have the potential to equip students to become curators, educators, storytellers, arts administrators, cultural policymakers, archivists, science visualizers, community artists, and more. To quote Ann Parsons, public humanity programs infuse students with the belief that they can bring the specialized ideas of academic debate into the public sphere and inspire new vision about a more flexible curriculum and broad training, end quote. That is something that I believe that the UWGB Digital Public Humanities Program has really, uh, well, and Humanities Program in general, has done a, a fantastic job of. As a student, I feel I do have the foundational tools to get a career in public humanities, whether that is uh, being a archivist, collections manager, a museum curator, etc. And that brings us to the end of our fourth episode, Exploring Public Humanities. I want to thank Brooke again for being a guest and the discussion that we had here today. All research links and any other information that we discussed um, will be available on our blog. And I hope you enjoyed listening. Humanities Plus was produced by Kate Farley and edited by our Phoenix Studios intern Preston Fisher. And a special shout out and thank you to Eric Chambers for the great music. For more great content like the episode you just heard, check out our Phoenix Studios website at www.uwgb.edu podcast.